listener production. It's night time here, so I can get into the beers. <laughs> it's coffee o'clock here. It's first thing in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, same as it was last time. I'm so thrilled to have you back on. This is going to be so great. Thank you so much. All right. Hello and welcome to Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which ordinarily Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share at a dinner party. Rosie, of course, is still taking a little bit of a break and we've had some extra special guest judges joining me on the show in the interim. And we have a fabulous guest this time around who is making his second appearance on Just the Gist, our friend, our hero, Mr. Stuart Semple. Welcome back to Just the Gist. Hello. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Always a treat. Um, I was so excited and a little bit nervous first time around when you came on board and this time less nervous but still certainly very, very, very excited. Obviously, most of our listeners very well acquainted with you and your work. For a lot of them, they got to start listening to Just the Gist because they started off with the episode about you and the fantastic and hilarious work that you've done over the years. Uh, But for the uninitiated, could you please give us Just the Gist of who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm Stuart Semple and I'm an artist, so I make art. Um, I experiment with colours and most of the listeners probably know me because I banned Anish Kapoor from using my pink is pink. (laughs) which then became an entire saga with some fantastic back and forth. Mm. Head on back and listen to that if you haven't already. So, Stuart, last time you were on here, it was about nine months ago and that time's absolutely flown. Any projects you want to tell us about that you've delivered on over the last nine months or anything you're working on right now? Give us an update. What have I done? Well, we made these love tone paints that change colour. So they were really cool. And I've been working really hard Mm. on um, this big new sort of performance piece for the Dulwich Picture Gallery, which um, is my first foray into kind of theatre. And it's this festival of happiness that I've been concocting. So it should be really fun and Mm -hmm. a bit weird. And I'm going to get my happy cloud machine out for that. So that'll be good. And then on the colour side, I don't know, Jacob, when you were a kid, did you ever have these pens and you draw with them and they change colour and you could kind of put secret messages? Like you put one ink over the top of another one and it would change colour. Do you know those things? Change colour? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, I haven't thought about them for years, but instantly I remember them. Yes. Yeah, so I've always wanted to make it so you could dip a paintbrush in them and actually paint with them. So I've created Uh this, like, whole series of these absolutely bizarre bananas colour changing like ink colours that do weird things you can hide like invisible messages yeah so I'm playing with those so I think they'll be ready really soon I'm so excited about those they're so fun terrific do you have a name for them yet or do you have to keep that secret yeah I think I'm going to call it changes after the David Bowie song ah cute yes good yeah because they change yeah All right, well, we'll certainly be keeping an eye out for those. And just quickly, you mentioned the Love Tone paints. Mm. I think they're some of the um, coolest things that you've released recently, and I especially love the names as well. Could you just uh, give us a rundown of those before we move on for anyone who might have missed them? 
oh, I can't remember them all off by heart, but you've got things like intent, uh, like they, they deal with two emotions. So they're all named after emotions. Mm. And depending on how you look at the colour, what angle you look at it at, De- determines what colour your eyes see. So sometimes they look really deep, shimmering purple, and sometimes they look green, and sometimes they look yellow. And yeah, that's what they do. Uh-huh. That's what they do. Like magic. Yeah, I think you were going to mention intense apathy. Yeah, um, intense apathy is one of them. Yeah. Every name is two emotions, but at opposite ends of the spectrum. Very mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, look, I wanted to ask you because you know one of the first encounters we had with you was hearing about your little tete-a-tete with he who must not be named, Mr. Anish Kapoor, Bean Boy, about um, (laughs) his exclusive right to use Vanta Black in artworks, Uh, the Mm -hmm. blackest black in the world at the time, but, of course, not anymore. Um, It's taken him a while to put that right he has, to put that exclusive right of his to use, but he finally did recently. Could you tell us what happened when he finally put Vanta Black on display? (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, it all went hideously wrong, didn't it? Um, <laughs> basically, it's, ta- it's taken the dude, I don't know, like five or six years to make anything out of the stuff because it's mm. flipping toxic and difficult to use. But anyway, <laughs> he decided it'd be really clever to paint a series of like balls and cubes with it. Mm. But it's so limited, Jacob. They're tiny little things <laughs> and they've cost him the earth. And what he's done is he's got this huge palazzo there at the Venice Biennale. And for those that don't know, that's like the biggest event in the contemporary art calendar. The whole world goes to Venice. And he's basically Mm. put these black things in these plastic boxes and filled this palazzo with it. But what he did wrong there was also in the exhibition, he had all these paintings of like menstrual blood and women's bodily parts and the whole Venice Biennale this year was very sort of um which was brilliant sort of like women dominated there's a lot of female artists I think like 90% of the artists it was really amazing to see that and there's him sort of Mm. being really macho and masculine and showing I've got the blackest black and I'm gonna paint female body parts and the rest of it and it just got completely slated it was just like nobody went it was the only thing that was like empty. <laughs> it was bizarre. I mean, it must have cost him. It must have cost the dude. I don't know millions to make the thing, and it's basically no one came. Everyone I know who went didn't go. Oh, yeah. that's perfect justice that he <laughs> just very much deserved. Because also, waste of time. He really doubled down on his entitlement, didn't he? Like he published some sort of statement about you know. It's, the only responsible thing to do to give people with his sort of wealth and access to resources the opportunity to use something like Vanta Black. Like, he's the only person on the planet qualified to have access to it. Yeah, I mean, at the time when when the show came out, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, why why is it? You've taken all these years, you've had the exclusive rights. He's like, well, it takes someone like me to be able to use this. Like, you know, I'm rich enough and clever enough mm. to be able to make something out of this stuff. And when you actually look at what he made, he basically spray-painted a cube. <laughs> like, how does that warrant the rights to this amazing stuff? I'm going to paint a cube. I mean, it's like... Can't you have come up with something else? Just anything else. 
Okay, bean boy. I mean, a roadrunner <laughs> tunnel or a hole or just anything other than that. Yeah. Oh, dear. What a letdown. But, I mean, no surprises. He's not known for his imagination, is he? Really? <laughs> uh, no. You can't buy imagination, uh, can you? <laughs> As he's clearly proven. And you know what? I really think he's going to be missing out more than anyone else on the planet over the next couple of years because um, this new Barbie core trend that's come along is only going to intensify as that new Barbie movie with Margot Robbie, um, you know, gets released in the next year or whenever. And Pink is going to have a real moment and he still doesn't have access to the pinkest pink, the only person on the planet who can't get his hands <laughs> on your wonderful pinker than pink creation. So I got to tell you, you really should be making sure you've got plenty of that in stock because the barbecue trend is only beginning. Uh, it's going to be full on. <laughs> I'll be needing a bigger table to make it on. <laughs> Start prepping now. No, but great. It's brilliant that Pink's going to um, blow up. I think Pink deserves its big moment. Couldn't agree more. Now, I wanted to get your point of view as someone in the art world. A couple of mm. months ago, Rosie and I did an episode of Just the Gist about the Leonardo da Vinci, in inverted commas, Salvatore Mundi that sold to a Saudi prince for half a billion dollars and the debate over whether or not it is really a Leonardo original autograph piece. <laughs> Stuart Semple, please tell us. We all knew it was fake the whole flipping time. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like, I was the one, I got slaughtered for it. I said, well, it's clearly wrong at the time. And everyone's like, oh, he's a conspiracy theorist, he's an idiot. I was like, just look at the flipping thing. It's so obvious. Like, what is wrong with people? Like, all the big art critics said it was fake. It, the only people who were saying it was real was yeah. the Blumen Auction House selling it. It clearly was wrong. Come on. Yeah. If it shows up in the Louvre Abu Dhabi, like they were planning <laughs> to do early on in the piece, would you make the trip to go and see it? No, because I'm not interested in it, Jacob. <laughs> I think it's boring. <laughs> I you know, I'll go to I'll go to to the cinema. I'll go and see the new Barbie movie. I'll make a trip for that. Schlep all the way to Abu Dhabi to see a fake Leonardo. I mean, <laughs> why would I do that? Very, go, very valid point. I'll go to Milan and see the Last Supper. It's an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. All right, one final question that I wanted to get your take on. We also did an episode not that long ago about the Nodler Art Gallery scandal. Yeah. Um, and we were sort of asking each other the question whether or not Anne Friedman, the director of mm. that gallery, knew she was selling millions of dollars worth of fakes over the years. Now, I'm sure that's a story you're familiar with. What's your take? What do you think? I don't think we'll ever really know, will we? Because she tells a good story about how she was oblivious to the whole thing. But mm. it went on for quite a while, and these are quite a lot of paintings, and they're serious blue-chip paintings, right? we got, we got the, obviously, mm. the Rothko's, we got the Pollocks, etc. How on earth does someone keep coming in the gallery week after week with this amazing work, and you don't go, hang on a minute, mm. what's actually going on here? And the amount of money she was making. It's very easy to yeah. convince yourself, maybe, 
of something when that sort of money's going past. So maybe she sort of wanted to believe it so much that she kind of did. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just so dodgy, the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like, how do you, I mean, uh, Yeah. It's not Look, hard. I think she's done a very good job of covering her but by making it seem like it was plausible that she was oblivious the entire time. But when you look at what she did and making payments in small increments of a few thousand dollars and in cash sometimes, like following practices like that that are far from standard. Go back and revisit that episode as well about the Nodler scandal if you happen to have missed it. And in the meantime, I'll also put a link in our show notes this week um, for uh, the Google reviews for Anne Friedman's new gallery because she gets absolutely roasted by people. Oh, I want to see it, Jacob. What, has she got a new gallery? Yeah, Why is she, um, still she set going, up the Anne then? Friedman Gallery. Yeah, there are people who are still willing to trust her. She's still trading Good in grief. fine art, even after her credibility, you would think, was destroyed. Oh, I want to read those reviews. We we got to add to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, there's a great call to action for everyone. Go and have a read of them and um, get inspired. See if there are any you want to submit for yourself. Oh. All right. Well, obviously, Stuart, if I was going to be getting you on the podcast, I would be telling you a story that takes Mm. place in the art world. So are you ready to hear a little homegrown Australian art heist story? I really am. I'm so excited. I love a good art heist, Jacob. I've been looking forward to this. Go on. This one is about some very cheeky, very rebellious artists who found a creative way to get support and attention from the rather stuffy institutions that were controlling the art sector and essentially ignoring them. Oh, my God, I love and it already. these very naughty artists got global attention for their cause by kidnapping a painting by Picasso that today would be worth <laughs> about $5.6 million oh in my, Australian wow. currency and holding it ransom. Yes, this is the story of the abduction of the weeping woman from the National Gallery of Victoria. So I'm quite surprised that you don't know anything about this story already. I know, that's weird, because I know a lot about a lot of art heists, Jacob, but I don't know this one. So I'm excited. I, I want to know what they did. And, I mean, how on earth do you get a painting like that out of the National Gallery? Like, and How? I just want to know how. Okay, well, it seems like it was surprisingly easy, um, but there are still people who are debating the actual how of it all. But we'll get through there. I really do think you're going to love this story and I think it's going to send you down a bit of a rabbit hole, probably as it will for everyone else who's listening to Mm. this. So for all of you, once you've finished this episode, make it a priority to watch this really fantastic documentary series called Framed that's on a TV channel's streaming service here in Australia called SBS. Stuart, it might be difficult for you to access it over there, but I will sort you out. I won't rest until I figure out how to give you access to watch this documentary um, because it's fantastic. There's all this wonderful archival news footage and you also get to hear from some of the people who were involved at the time being Mm. interviewed 
today, looking back and sharing their perspective on whether it was this heinous crime or just a hilarious stunt. And that's the thing. So many people have so many different takes on how you would classify this event. Was it Mm. a heist? Was it a crime? Was it a theft? Or was it a prank? Was it a piece of performance art? Was it political activism? So, yeah, there's lots of debate around that. Oh, Jacob, this sounds right up my street, doesn't it? This sounds <laughs> sounds like the sort of thing I might get involved in. Very Stuart Semple indeed. I know nothing about it. By the end, remind me, make sure I get you to tell me how you would classify this first and okay. foremost once we've wrapped yeah, it well, up. Let's um, do it. Now... I glossed over this. I mentioned the National Gallery of Victoria. Have you Mm. ever heard of it before? I have. It's a really great, great gallery, yeah. It's important. Yeah, it's the oldest gallery in Australia. Um, It's in Melbourne and, yeah, it is probably our finest, one of our finest at least, art institutions. They have fantastic exhibitions that come from all around the world. Um, So they're very highly regarded these days, but, um, yeah, their reputation did take a little bit of a hit, particularly because of this particular incident, which Mm. kicked off in August of 1986, August 4th, on a Monday. A typed letter was delivered to the Age newspaper in an envelope that just said, News Tip. And someone in the mailroom opened it up and saw that it was addressed to a politician called Race Matthews, who was the state minister for the arts in Victoria, as well as the minister for the police. And the tone of this letter was a little bit spicy, a little sassy, and Mm. full of little jabs at the minister... Right from the get-go, they called him Rank Matthews instead of Race Matthews, implying <laughs> he was undesirable and or stinky. Um, oh, wow. And the letter basically said, we've stolen your precious Picasso, the weeping woman, from the National Gallery of Victoria. It's a protest against how stingy you've been when it comes to funding the fine arts. What? Wow! Uh huh. You wasted $2 million in the most unimaginative way by buying this painting because you're a bunch of hicks. So we took it and we'll return the painting to you safely <laughs> if you agree to increase the budget for the arts by 10% over the next three years. And wow. you set up a new annual prize for young artists. Every year you have to pick five artists to get a $5,000 grant each. Wow, what an amazing ransom. Like, that's hard to deal with, right? Because I agree with them at that point, although they've gone and Mm. nicked a Picasso. So that's weird. (laughs) That's really weird. It's an extreme measure to take, but they obviously felt like they were in a position where if they didn't do something extreme, they weren't going to be heard. So they certainly got attention with this stunt Mm. and it followed on to say, look, if you don't make these commitments, we'll destroy the painting and then wrapped up by saying they'd give Race Matthews a sporting seven days to use his police force to try to find them and arrest them and then it was signed off Australian Cultural Terrorists, ACT. And the person who read the letter at the age made a call to the NGV sometime around midday Mm -hmm. and told them about the note 
and suggested they might want to go and check if their Picasso had gone missing. Because at this point, they had no idea (laughs) it was gone. (laughs) Wow. Okay. The security controller on duty went to find the director of the gallery, a man called Patrick McCackie, who was getting ready to host a fancy lunch for his board of trustees. And the guard sidled up to him and was like, "Um, we think the Picasso's gone, which caused a little bit of worry, consternation for Patrick McCackie. And so with the security controller, he ran down to the wing of the gallery where all the fancy European art was and on the wall where the Picasso was meant to be was just a postcard-sized sign that says, this painting removed to ACT. Wow. And Patrick McCackie was like, okay, this is an emergency. Please cancel my fancy lunch. How do you not notice the prize Picasso's not there? I mean, how is that possible? So for what turned out to have been a day and a half, 36 hours, all the staff and all the members of the public who'd walked past that wall had seen that official-looking sign and assumed that it meant the painting had been moved to the Australian capital territory. Uh, That's the ACT they assumed it had gone to. But you know what, Jacob? See, the thing with this is people are so funny. Like, it reminds me of this time, ages ago, I snuck a painting into the Saatchi Gallery. I did this in reverse. So I walk into Uh the Saatchi Gallery with a painting (laughs) that says British painting still Mm. rocks, right? Because Charles Saatchi decided British painting wasn't very interesting anymore. Anyway, so I stuck this thing on the wall. Uh I just walked in. I stuck it on the wall. It was there for about a day (laughs) and nobody realised it didn't belong there. Do do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's beggar's belief, doesn't it? If you're bold enough. But it's just, that's crazy. Uh That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like everyone just sort of defers to, oh, okay, someone higher up than me made the decision that this needs to go off to Canberra, which is the Australian capital territory. Yeah. Um, and because that is the capital of the country where they have the Federal National Gallery, I guess it just that was the assumption they jumped to. That's where the Picasso had been sent. So everyone else had made that assumption when they saw that sign, but knowing who'd signed off the note now, the Australian cultural terrorist, Patrick McCackie was the first one to realise that that initialism really stood for Australian cultural terrorists. And his first thought, his desperate hope, was that this might all just be a cheeky little prank and the painting might have been hidden somewhere there in the building. So That's what I was thinking. All the security staff to search every nook and cranny of the gallery. Within about 30 minutes, they found the painting's frame empty on top of the cupboard, about 25 metres away from the wall where it was meant to be hanging. Wow. And they found no other trace of the artwork. So... It was pretty clear the painting really was gone, gone. So McCackie had to tell the relevant government officials and the police and he had to bite the bullet and tell the media as well. But there's there's security, Jacob. I mean, it's just outrageous. Like, it's not... (laughs) Because I mean, I you know, I some you know, I'm working with this Dulwich Picture Gallery at the moment, and they had the Rembrandt nearly Mm. stolen about a year ago. And the procedure's crazy, mm. you know. All their mobile phones go off in the middle of the night. There's a security guard. There's camera. You know, like 
You can't just walk into a gallery and take a flipping Picasso out of the frame without anything going on. <laughs> I mean, the guy's clearly in on it, isn't he, this, this bloke? Ooh, put a pin in that because we'll circle back on that uh, for sure. When you say right. the guy, I assume you mean Patrick McCaffrey. I do, yeah, yeah, I don't trust him for a minute. Him. Um, I can totally understand why based on the small amount you've heard so far wait till you hear more Um, you'll also hear a bit about the security protocol and system Uh, that was set up at the National Gallery of Victoria back in the 1980s as well because it was at a very different standard to what we'd expect today So Makaki held this press conference at around 4.30pm that afternoon and, as you can probably imagine, the media were very interested in being there to hear all the details. The Weeping Woman by Picasso was famously the most expensive artwork in the country by about $700,000. The Victorian government had paid about $2 million for it only, like, eight months earlier and... When they acquired it, it was pretty controversial for a bunch of different reasons. A lot of people didn't like that the gallery was investing in European art instead of Ooh. local art, that they were doing so much to, you know, prioritise old masters of the art world rather than emerging sure. artists. There were people who just thought it was an outright waste of money to spend six digits on any artwork. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people they really felt like... It was just a box-ticking exercise that because the gallery didn't already have a Picasso, they were just desperate to get their hands on any Picasso, even this one, which a lot of people considered to be an inferior work, which a lot of people just outright didn't like. And at this point I thought it might be a good idea if I get you to Google the picture so you could maybe give everyone a little bit of a description from an artist... That's so, weeping woman. Oh yeah, of course. Image. Yeah, so it's one of the most famous Picassos ever painted, and it's um, it's an image of essentially a weeping woman, but it's in his usual sort of cubist style, in very bright, almost primary colours, and it, she's she's sort of got a, a sort of tissue there, and she's kind of crying into it. And she's clearly got sort of a headdress and a flower on her head. It's it looks like it's a quintessential Picasso, basically, um, mm-hmm. and I would argue it's actually a really good one. So there you mm-hmm. go. It's iconic. I mean, you, you just studied it at school. Everyone would have seen this image. It's a really, really, really famous piece of Picasso's work. So now I'm curious to know which weeping woman you're looking at because uh, it was, was it not the right a one? series Picasso did. I mean, I can see there's lots of drawings and... So I need to find theft of the... Ah, OK. <laughs> oh, no. That... Oh, Jacob, wait a sec. <laughs> oh, right. So you mean, like, the bad weeping woman mm. that's nowhere near as good as the one that we all saw at school? <laughs> it looks like it's looks like Picasso did another weeping woman on a bad day. This doesn't look like a weeping woman. This is like a woman with a really bad cold. This is like women with head cold. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, uh-huh. I see. I see you. Yeah. I see you. What's going on with her mouth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sort of like bad <laughs> knockoff of his own 
Weeping Woman. Right? Yeah. Um, that's our Weeping Woman that you're looking at now, the one with the Wicked Witch of the West green skin. Oh, I thought it was... <laughs> I honestly thought uh, it was the other one. I was like, oh, I have no problem with that. Fair play. They should have it. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, a couple of million no, for that's that. the one you've got mm. over there in the Tate Gallery, I believe. Okay. Um, and you're right. It is iconic. And so the fact that our government spent so much money on getting kind of <laughs> a lame knockoff of it's the like good one was It's like fake 90s or something, sad. isn't it? It's like a, yeah, it's like a bootleg yeah. of itself. It's weird. <laughs> you know what? It's the Aldi version of the original Weeping It is, isn't it? But it's like we we have a Picasso tick. Yeah, that's right. I don't get it. There was heaps of brouhaha when the painting was acquired and now the fact that it had disappeared was definitely going to get lips a-flapping. So every news outlet was there at this press conference. (laughs) But it's so ugly, Jacob. (laughs) I'm just looking at it. like The the justers have to actually look at this thing because it is... It's hilarious, isn't it? It's just, sorry, I'm just still a bit blown away by what it actually looks like. I'm so glad that you can sympathise with the people when they found out it had disappeared, (laughs) said, good riddance, I hope it never reappears. You make me laugh too much, I've actually got aching ribs now. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, one of the things I find most striking when I look at it is the tears, which at first I thought, oh, they kind of look like enoki mushrooms. I can guarantee that Rosie would say, no, they look like drooping penises on her face. Yeah, oh, my gosh, they are. They're, they're, yeah, very long, spindly penises. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's, the, the thing's hideous, isn't it? Mm. I mean, they've done them a favour getting that off the wall, really, haven't they? (laughs) And they had no idea where it could be. Mm. And Patrick McCackie, he had to front up to the media. He tried really hard to save face and (laughs) he was his usual pompous, haughty self. Like, he's such an incredible character. He always wore these big, droopy bow ties that sort of look more like those pussy bows you'd see on a lady's blouse. You've got to watch this documentary, even Mm. if it's only to see him in action. That very sort of affected, imperious, Mm. old man kind of, you know, not everyone's cup of tea Mm. necessarily. Okay, Mm. okay. He tried his best to convince the media that there wasn't a problem with lax security at the gallery and he refused to confirm the rumour that the painting wasn't insured, all to try to dodge humiliation. But at the end of the day, this was just so embarrassing for him, for the NGV, and not just locally but all around the world because... Mm. I mean, the painting hadn't even been at the NGV for a full year yet. And what? it had disappeared and no one even noticed it was gone until the thief sent a letter to bring to their attention <laughs> that it was missing oh and had been for a day and a half. <laughs> no one who owned a valuable piece of art anywhere in the world was going to be willing to lend it to a gallery that had proven it could lose its most valuable asset and not even realise it was gone. And 
By the way, back then, the gallery already didn't have the best reputation. Another time, a Picasso they were borrowing was accidentally stabbed right through with a screwdriver by a member of staff when they were installing it. Another time, they somehow managed to snap a 10,000-year-old jade sword from China in half while it was in their care. (laughs) Um, And they'd also been caught out having been duped into buying a few forgeries over the years as well. So, you know, they weren't super well-respected. But this was now just next level. I don't know what to say, Jacob. I mean, they sort of are asking for it at this point, aren't they? I mean, they clearly just don't have a clue what they're doing. I mean, what is it, like amateur hour at the museum or something? Mm -hmm. Well, now I get to answer your question about... uh, what was the security system like in a place like this? And oh, yeah, how yeah. could someone so easily and discreetly steal a Picasso? Uh, so clearly security yeah. was not great. They had no CCTV cameras. They had no motion sensors, no heat sensors. They really just relied on the eyes and ears of the security guards most of whom were older men who'd retired from the police force and Mm -hmm. saw this as a cushy way to earn a bit of coin while they were seeing out their twilight years. And they Mm. would spend their shifts while the gallery was open, keeping an eye on the place from their chairs, which very frequently they would fall asleep in. (laughs) And then every night when they closed up, they'd do a quick little sweep of the building to make sure there was no one tucked away in any little hiding spots. And then from there, it was just two guards Mm. left overnight who'd do a sweep every couple of hours. And, I mean... To me, that is the sort of security system I would have expected from a shop or a pub in the 80s, <laughs> not from a gallery with an art collection worth half a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, like, you'd get more in a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just crazy. A couple of old boys roaming round for half an hour <laughs> and then go, go for a nap. I mean, like, how... I don't know. It's just they were asking for it, Jacob. They were asking for it, really, weren't they? Truly. This reminds me, actually, just a little sidebar. Recently, a friend of mine was having a bit of a big night out in Newcastle here in New South Wales, Australia, and he'd had a fair few, maybe too many whiskey sours, and he took himself off to the bathroom, and the next thing he remembers, he woke up on the floor of the bathroom and all the lights were out, and he had been locked in. The pub had closed and <laughs> the security sweep was, was so lax the they didn't find him on the floor <laughs> of the bathroom. Um, had to <laughs> call his friends to come and rescue him. Poor bloke. Uh, that's the, the level <laughs> Can of... Can you imagine waking up in the middle of the night? Right. Don't know where you are. You're like, I'm in a room. <laughs> I don't know where I am. Help. <laughs> oh, and then it turns so how did they be... get him out? Did he have to stay there all night, Jacob? Or no, what? they did manage to Was get he in him for the out. night. No, no, no. Luckily, um, oh. but that's the level of security system they had at the National Gallery of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And look, Makaki said that was global standard and he was quite content with the security, but clearly the thieves in this country full of convicts were on another level, so the NGV was going to take the theft as a bit of a wake-up call and they would commit to upgrading their security 
ASAP. They were going to get a CCTV system, a proper alarm system, but first the guards' chairs would absolutely have to be (laughs) taken away. And the guards' response to that was, absolutely not, we're not okay with any of that. They were not willing to spend their shifts standing up and awake. Their stance was that they were very good at their jobs. (laughs) They didn't need to change a thing and they certainly didn't want cameras spying on them all day, every day, while they were very busy being very good at their jobs. And so the next day, the Tuesday, they went on strike. All the security guards went on strike while they negotiated with the administration about how many chairs they'd be allowed when they came back to work. They've got... But they've got no bargaining power. Literally, someone's just walked off with the Picasso. I mean, clearly the guys are just, like, not even up... It's probably more secure without them. I mean, what's going on? Oh, so for the next three days while they were on strike, the gallery couldn't be open to the public, which was a real bummer for all the people who were gagging to go and see the empty wall where the painting had been taken from. Like, I would certainly want mm. to see that if I'd been in Victoria at the time. Yes. So, Bummer for them, but that did allow time for the cops to really thoroughly search every inch of the premises to try to find some clues. And that search they were on gave the students at the Victorian College of the Arts a chance to have a bit of a laugh and mess around with those cops while they were on the hunt for clues. Oh, what did they They do? They started painting replicas of the weeping woman and tucking them around the place for the cops to find. Oh, God bless art students. Aren't they brilliant? Uh-huh. And for the next two days, while the police were searching the inside and the outside of the gallery every now and then, they'd get really excited that they'd found the weeping woman then oh. <laughs> realise, oh, Over here, wait. John, I've got it. Look. <laughs> Fucking kids. Uh-huh. Well, maybe it was the students that nicked it. <laughs> Okay, so that was a theory because the Victorian College of Fine Arts shared Mm -hmm. a door with the National Gallery of Victoria, which the students were allowed to use as a bit of a shortcut. Oh, yeah, but pesky students, Jacob. They'll get up to all sorts. I mean, at my art school, they were wrapping the canteen in toilet paper. (laughs) You know, they were up to all, all sorts of mad, crazy things. No, but, like, look, let's just say, if I had a door... From my art studio through to the Picasso. Mm. It'd be impossible for me not to do it. Like, how tempting is that? Oh, you'd almost feel like it'd be rude for you not to, to pass up an opportunity like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And also, how annoyed would you be if the two million quid had been spent the other side of the wall, the other side of the door on that horrendous thing? Yeah. And, you know, you've got no career in the arts, there's no... Emerging artists being bought by the museum. You no, I mean, you can see it would have rubbed the neighbours up the wrong way. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely agreed. So it was really fun for them to sort of um, get a little bit of revenge on the NGV itself, as well as the police, of whom they weren't 
the hugest fans. Um, while the search went on and they weren't finding anything, as a last-ditch effort to maybe get some clues, they ended up draining the pools that wrap around the sides of the building, kind of like a moat, to see if there was maybe something in there along with all the coins people throw <laughs> into the fountains. Of course, they found nothing. And while that was going on, mm. while the police were searching and while the VCA students were pranking them and the security guards were on strike to keep their chairs, up in Sydney, a painting had been on display in this outdoor window box that was part of a gallery called the Avago Gallery. And that painting was an exact okay. replica of the weeping woman, but it was called Picasso Theft. Ooh. And the artist behind it, a guy called Juan de Villa, who was based in Melbourne, said the piece was a direct response mm -hmm. to the theft at the NGV. Okay. But the funny thing was Picasso Theft had gone on display in Sydney at 6.30pm on Monday the 4th of August, which was just two hours after Patrick McCackie made the announcement to the public at his press conference that the painting had been oh, taken. No so, so they were in on it, surely. They knew something. It's not possible. Well, to a lot of people, that's certainly how it seemed, that at the very least, Juan had right, right. some inside knowledge and, you know, he just wouldn't have had the time to paint this replica of the weeping woman as a response to the robbery in Melbourne and get it sent to Sydney and go on display unless he had mm. prior knowledge that it was going to be happening. So, of course, a lot of people asked him about sure. what he knew and he just denied any knowledge in advance of the theft and just tried to rewrite the narrative by saying, no, people were mistaken. He'd painted the piece straight after he found out about the robbery on the Monday, finished it off on the Tuesday, and it didn't go up on display until the Wednesday. And some of his artist friends backed him up and they just refuted any evidence. And there was oh. physical evidence that Juan's replica had been on display on the Monday, just two hours after the press conference. Juan just went with that denial okay. strategy and focused on using all the attention he was getting <laughs> to publicly offer to give his work to the NGV to replace the original weeping woman. He basically dared them not to Ugh. accept it. He was like, you told the country that you bought the weeping woman purely because of its artistic merit and aesthetic and not because of the name yeah. of the artist. Well, here is oh, that's a what they perfect okay. recreation why not hang that? How is it different? If you loved that painting because of the greens Ooh. and the mauves and the long stringy dangly penises on the woman's face. No one face. loves that painting, Jacob. <laughs> I've seen it. And, and to be fair, the guy could have just not painted it in about 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when you watch Framed, you'll see someone does do a replica and it takes uh, a few hours, but he was like, look, you definitely Couple wouldn't hours, need an entire right. day. But, yeah, it's, it's a relatively quick image to paint. It's the getting it to Sydney that's the really tricky part. Mm. Um, the other thing that yeah. Juan de Vila said was, if you just take my work and hang it, then you can stop fretting about finding the original and spend your time doing what you really should be doing, which is investing in young, emerging, exciting local 
artists. Mm-hmm. He was obviously very, very sympathetic mm-hmm. with the Australian cultural terrorists and really not a fan at That's all. That's what I was going to say. They're ideologically very aligned, aren't they? Yeah. Him and that letter that got sent. I mean, it's too similar, isn't mm-hmm. it, really? Yeah. So what are you thinking? What's your take on Juan's possible involvement here? Uh, what am I thinking? Well, well, he's clearly involved, isn't he? Um, but I think at the same time, he's an opportunist. He's definitely trying to make his name as an emerging artist. You know, they'll do anything. Mm. So he's clearly up to up to no good there. But, you know, did he go to the art college next door? Is he involved in some way? Um, also, let's be honest, like getting your work in the window of a gallery, that takes time to organise, right? Because the gallery has things in the window normally, you need to know a few weeks out, you know, it's not just hung, it doesn't just appear in a window, you have to install it, you have to go down there, the gallery has to be opened, you know, there's a few, there's good, in my mind, there's a good few weeks involved in getting that piece in that window. Mm. So there's definitely premeditation here. And for this to align exactly at the same time, even if it was two or three days later, for me, it's part of the same story and it's come from the same place. It has to, because it's not possible. Yeah. So I was having this debate with one of my friends last night and she Mm. very much believes that this one guy had to have had inside knowledge and was probably part of the Australian Cultural Terrorist Organisation and carried this out. As someone who likes to sort of play devil's advocate sometimes and argue an alternative view, I said, well, look, maybe he'd painted the replica and was planning to display it as a statement about how wasteful it was to spend $2 million on a painting as hideously ugly as that. And then at the last minute when he found out about the theft, he changed the name of it and changed the inspiration and said it was a response to the theft as opposed to a response to the purchase. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's possible. That's possible because it was dominating the news, wasn't it? And they'd only just bought it a couple of months ago or Mm. whatever and it was all over the news anyway. So, you know... Someone was inspired to steal it, Mm. but it is feasible that other people are inspired to respond to it in some way. And maybe this guy's work deals with that anyway. So he made a painting of what was in the news a couple of months ago. Mm. It's, it's, It's feasible. That's not the argument that he made in his own defence, but it was the argument I sort of um, came up with on his behalf. Oh, right. Well, if he'd have said that... He'll never admit to being part of the Australian cultural terrorists, I'm quite sure. Um, He's always going to continue to deny, so we'll just never really know. But the next little twist that happened that Mm. involves Juan and his replica is that within a few days... Picasso theft, that perfect recreation of the weeping woman, was stolen itself. And the thieves who took it left a note behind saying, we've stolen the Picasso (laughs) from Abigo Gallery. We make no demands, but we wish to be acknowledged as artists. (laughs) We ask the question, where does art end? Theft for art's sake. Signed, ACT. But... This time, ACT stood for Artists Confronting Terrorism. So all of a sudden, there was a rival gang who also used the initialism (laughs) ACT. This is getting wild, Jacob. What's going on? (laughs) 
Uh, Where does it end? It's only the beginning, my friend. But is it art? Is the theft art? It's all mm. art. And a lot of people recognise that and were like, I am getting involved. This is, this is, why? Why have I not heard this? This is brilliant. <laughs> we're only about halfway there, my friend. So Friday the 8th rolled around and over the course of the mm-hmm. week, the Victorian Minister of the Arts, Race slash Rank Matthews, announced he would not be negotiating with terrorists. He would not be bullied or blackmailed into changing his budget. And anyway, the demands were ridiculous. Even though a 10% increase each year might mm-hmm. not sound huge, that would be about $35 million. And he also said he just wasn't convinced the theft really was the work of artist activists anyway. He thought that could all just be a red herring. The thieves seemed too sophisticated to be some hippie arty types <laughs> and true art lovers would mm. never threaten to destroy any piece of art anyway. So he announced he'd notified Interpol to be on the lookout for someone trying to smuggle or sell the Weeping Widow on the black market and mm. Interpol... <laughs> sort of brutally told him, all right, well, look, we'll keep an eye out, but um, this is going to go into our lowest priority basket until there's any shred of evidence oh. of an international crime syndicate being involved here. Right. And Minister Matthews, oh. like, he just, he went tough. He promised again and again in the media when they hunted the thieves down, they'd be sentenced to 10 years in prison. And so in response to all his statements, the Australian cultural terrorists sent their second letter to the age. And while the first one was a little sassy, this one was getting outright bitchy. Once again, (laughs) it was addressed to Race Matthews. And this time it was sent in an envelope that also contained a single burned matchstick. And this one I'm going to read pretty much verbatim for you. Dear, oh dear, Race Matthews, you tiresome old bag of swamp gas. One we have not dumped into a blue-nosed funk. What should cause us to panic? Perhaps you imagine the news that Interpol has been alerted will cause us to cower in our ill-lit garrets. Interpol, call on Red Adair to read your gas meter, do you? I think he was some sort of famous firefighter in the US or something. Red Adair. What an imaginative fellow you turned out to be. We hope you enjoy playing the political he-man, unflinchingly refusing the outrageous demands of these cultural crackpots. Seven days after the painting came into our hands, if our demands have not been met, you will begin the long process of carrying about you the smell of kerosene and burning canvas. Good luck with your huffing and puffing, Minister, you pompous fathead. We remain your ever-humble servants, Australian (laughs) cultural terrorists. They're definitely So that was published in The Age. (laughs) There's no mistaking that, is there? There are. They're like, there's no no doubt. This isn't a crack team of international art thieves (laughs) or criminals. It's not. It is a couple of hippie artists. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 100%. Yep. With easy access to a thesaurus or a fantastic (laughs) vocabulary. Yeah. 
So that threat in the second letter of burning the painting really seemed to make Makaki panic and so he started publicly pleading with the Australian cultural terrorists and he announced he'd started arranging some private funding from donors to set up an award scheme for young artists just like the ACT had been Mm. demanding. And then Race Matthews stepped in and was like, no, don't be a fool and forced Makaki to withdraw that prize because he said it showed a willingness to give in to terrorists that would likely come back to bite them by inspiring some copycats. And so instead, yeah. Race Matthews yeah. announced he was offering a $50,000 reward for any information that led to the conviction of anyone involved mm-hmm. in the heist. Standard Which, practice. of course, led to a lot of fake tip-offs many of which were hilarious <laughs> pranks pulled by artists who wanted to contribute to what they saw as this incredible work of performance art that just kept wow. giving as it went on and on and on. All it o- does. All over the country, artists were painting replicas of the weeping woman of their own and then calling <laughs> the tip-off hotline to report that they'd found the painting somewhere obscure and case after case... I found case, it in my nana's <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah. I have the $50,000 now, please? Um, yeah. And so, like, the police had no choice but to go and investigate all of the tips, including my two favourites, which happened in Perth and in Adelaide. The one in Perth involved an artist-slash-art dealer who approached the owner of a cafe called Picasso's Lounge and offered to sell them the weeping woman to hang on their wall next to their chalkboard menu. And the cafe owner was like, okay, yep, 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 bring it in, we'll we'll check it out, and straight away called the tip-off hotline hoping he'd be able to claim the $50,000 reward. And the cops over there in Perth organised yep. a sting operation with 10 officers, which the artist managed oh. to narrowly escape when he was on his way to the cafe. What? It took them the rest of the day to hunt him down. Down, but they found him, they arrested him, they took him to the station and interrogated him for two hours. Oh. He just kept giving them sassy, sarcastic responses to their questions. Finally, <laughs> someone on the cops team pointed out that the paint on the canvas this guy had been walking around the shopping mall carrying was still wet. So it was likely it had been painted a lot more recently than 1937. Did it that morning. <laughs> Mwah. Oh, so I love great. it. So I love great. it. Oh. It's perfect. And it's meanwhile, perfect. over in Adelaide, a group of artists painted 19 replicas of the Weeping Woman and hung them in their exhibition space along with some piles of ashes from burnt paintings that they had stacked oh, up on gosh. plinths around the space <laughs> and then they just waited oh. to be reported by someone and sure enough their mailman Brilliant. called the hotline to dob them in. Called it and in, so, yeah. I'm going to get 50 yes. grand, I've seen it. <laughs> Yeah. While he was excitedly... But it's brilliant, Jacob. It's inspired so much creativity, hasn't it? It's got everybody going. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. All across the country, it's people beautiful. were having so much one. fun with this. How could you resist? Yeah. Of course. I know. And so the NGV 
as much as they knew this was probably a prank, they still had to send one of their experts over to Adelaide to inspect all of those replicas, including the burnt <laughs> ones, to make sure... Yes, they did, yeah. ..the real thing wasn't there hidden away amongst all the fakes. Mm. So, yeah, all these artists were having so much fun and pulling these delicious stunts and the thing that I find just adds to all of this genius is that this was all happening right around the time of the 75th anniversary of when Picasso himself was accused of stealing the Mona Lisa from the Louvre in 1911. Yes. Just, oh, amazing. Perfect full circle there. Delicious. Mm -hmm. Now, because they hadn't heard anything from the Australian cultural terrorists for a while, Patrick McKackie was really getting scared that they'd followed through on their threat and that the painting had been destroyed. And the cops tried their best to reassure him by right. being like, hang in there, buddy, it's not a murder till you find the body. Your girl could still be out there somewhere. Yeah, it takes time. Maybe she's been sold on the black market, but we don't know for a fact that she's been burnt yet. That didn't do a great deal to yeah. to make him feel better. Um, also, he knew if he didn't get the painting back and it was looking less and less likely, his reputation was in tatters. But then on Tuesday, mm. the 19th of August, 17 days after the painting had gone missing and 15 days since they'd realised it had gone missing, a journalist from The Age newspaper... Whoa, yeah, yeah got a phone call from an anonymous caller and the person on the line said, mm-hmm. the painting is returned, it's in locker 227 at Spencer Street Station, which is one of the big train stations what? in the Melbourne CBD. It's called Southern Cross Station now. Right, yeah, yeah. And the journalist who answered the phone was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. who is this? And the person on the other end said, the Australian yeah. cultural terrorists, of course, you remember us. Ta-ta, and hung up. Wow. And the journalist called the police, then called Patrick McCackie and sashayed off to Spencer Street Station, which was just down the road. She found Locker Mm. 227. It was just one of those casual coin-operated day-hire lockers that cost 10 cents a day back then. Obviously, it was locked. Mm -hmm. They needed to wait for someone to show up who'd be able to open it. Pretty soon, Patrick McCackie was there and then a few other journalists and then film crews from all the TV Mm -hmm. channels. And over the next hour, this suspense built up while they were waiting to open the locker. Would the painting be in there? Would this just be another fantastic prank? If it was in there, would it be intact? And then... At around 9pm, the police forensics team rocked up. They used a master key to open the locker and when they opened it, they could see a brown paper package tied up with string, roughly the size and shape of the weeping woman. And Patrick McCackie was like, that's her, I know it, that has to be her, I can hear her. (laughs) The cops were like, yeah, yeah, yep, yep, but it might also be a bomb or a booby trap. So just take a step back. Let's wait for the bomb squad to come and make sure it's safe before anyone starts celebrating. Mm. When they got the all clear from the bomb squad and it seemed like it was safe, one of the NGV staff carefully picked the package up, carefully carried it over to a police car and held onto it 
while they rode to the police station, carried it up to the forensic lab and very delicately they opened the package up. Under the paper was a layer of fabric wrapped around the object and they carefully removed that swaddling. Not sure what they were going to find there. And when they peeled back the last layer, they revealed that acid green face of the weeping woman screeching up at them. They had their beautiful girl back and there was no damage to the painting whatsoever. Whoever had taken it had really looked after it with expert level care to make sure that she was very well preserved while she was moved around wherever she'd been. And there was one final letter wrapped up with that painting. It Mm. read, and once again I'm going to go verbatim and tell you all of this one, Race Matthews, dearest, the (laughs) departmental cupboard is quite bare for the painters, sculptors, musicians, writers, dancers, poets and actors who might need support, but you can find a spare 50 grand for the first worthless creep who dares dob us in. Clearly devoted (laughs) to the cause of art, aren't you? 50 grand to anyone who can help an incompetent political blimp save face. It is self-glorifying retention like you who are keeping Australia the Ozanam House of Western Art. We thank the companies that have responded to the need for increased funding for the arts and done their bit to help embarrass the government. It was an unexpected bonus. Of course, we never look to have our demands met. If we'd wanted a positive response from a cultural nematode, which is like a parasitic worm, <laughs> cultural nematode like you, we would have asked for a new car, a leather lounge <laughs> suite and 10 days in Bali. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nematode. Oh. Our intention was always... Wow, this to- is brilliant. <laughs> Keeps going. Our intention was always to bring to public attention the plight of a group which lacks any of the legitimate means of blackmailing governments. If we've also drawn attention to your own inadequacy when faced with a situation requiring any show of intelligence or resource, so much the better. The return of the Picasso completes the first phase of our campaign. We do hope the television stations feel prompted to have you on the news again. We just love that Gough Whitlam voice you do when you're having a tantrum. It is like being ticked off by a solemn and statesmanlike boarding house blancmange. We remain at large and your very humble savants, Australian cultural terrorists. Oh. oh, Jacob, what a thing. I love them to bits. I mean, I cannot be better. I need to see this Blamange guy. Yeah. <laughs> what? Such a great oh, image and such a brilliant? fantastic insult. Yeah, a boarding no, because house. Because, you know, I love them because nothing's nothing's gone wrong. Like, they've got the thing back. It's been properly looked after. The whole country's had a wild ride. Mm-hmm. Everyone's made art. What a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing. And, and so much humour. I mean, it's, it's just... Oh, it's naughty as well. I love it. Yes, I knew you would. And they've brought so much joy oh, to no. so many people for I think they're decades. my new heroes. Couldn't agree more. They are right up I'm there inspired. for me. 
<laughs> Sadly, that is the last we will ever hear from the Australian cultural terrorists, though. This, that is the final letter we receive from them. Unless they're planning some big 40th anniversary reappearance stunt where we're oh, not going to hear from them they do. again. But they went out on a high note with that blamange. They did. Did anything change, Jacob? Do you reckon that, you know, it shifted things? Did mm. that thing change the arts or the policy or anything? Did they get anywhere with it? Did it work? It took time, but eventually, yes, it did. Ultimately, the NGV started embracing Australian art more and stopped seeing it quite so much as, you know, there's real art that comes from the rest of the world and then there's Australian art, which is something Mm. we have to sort of include sometimes as a way of ticking the box. They really started to support Mm. emerging artists. I mean, it did not happen overnight, um, but gradually the budget did start to... No, because the Blamonge had to retire. (laughs) Which he did the following year, which meant that some changes could finally be made. Um, And I don't think... After him, any government in Australia has given a minister a portfolio that included the arts and the police. That's such a strange mishmash. Yeah, what a conflict of interest. Weird, isn't it? Mm, Very Mm, odd. Very odd. Wow, what an insane story, though. Wow. I'm blown away. I'm totally blown away. I can't. We've still got a little way to go, my friend. What, there's more? Yes, we've got to um, check in on a couple more people, including our friend Patrick McKackie, who I think it's very interesting was never mentioned Mm. in any of the letters from the Australian cultural terrorists, considering he was the one who chose to buy the Picasso in the first place. He advocated for it harder than anyone else. And he was the one who had the power Mm -hmm. to decide what was displayed at the NGV. And he was the one really known for prioritising European and American great artists over local talent. Yet he doesn't copper mention in any of the little communiques. Also, from the second Mm. the painting was recovered from the locker at the train station, Patrick McKackie started telling the media, you know what, I had a feeling it'd show up at Spencer Street Station or maybe Tullamarine Airport in a locker and wink, what do you know? Wink, I was right. What do you mean he had a... what? He started planting the seed straight away that he's the hero in this piece because he ended up revealing to the media that, and look, this has not been verified, this is just his story, that he'd gone to the police and suggested that someone should go and speak to all the artists up in the northern part of Melbourne, Fitzroy, Brunswick, they're areas that are sort of like Shoreditch in London, quite sort of bohemian, hipstery, cool arty kind of areas. territories. Yeah. yeah. So he, Communities, yeah. He claimed he'd are. gone to the police and said someone should go and speak to the artists there, see if any of them are willing to talk, and then the police, in response, said that the best person for an assignment like that would be he himself, Patrick McKackie. And so he'd gone mm. off to visit those artists in their studios, artists who were not fans of his and had not invited them, Yeah, they must have hated him. And he just popped in wearing his little pussy bow tie to say, you know, 
all we want is to get the painting back. If she were to reappear in, say, a locker at Spencer Street Station or at Tullamarine Airport, we wouldn't keep investigating. We'd just close the case. There'd be no consequences for anyone. That was his claim. The police Mm -hmm. refuted that fiercely because Patrick McCackie oh, was a person of interest in the case. They wouldn't send him off to go and sure. visit and question other possible suspects. So the fact that no it's way. his word yeah, against them, that all reads to me that Patrick McCackie was trying to regain Weird. some of the status he'd lost and rebuild his reputation by making yeah. himself the hero who yeah. was ultimately responsible for getting the weeping woman back safely. He was the clever, subtle genius who'd suggested dropping the painting off at a train station locker and lo and behold, it happened. When people Mm. started doubting those claims to try to substantiate them better, he started naming names of artists he'd visited and given that Spencer Street Station idea to. And as I'm sure you can imagine, that did a lot to damage the careers of those artists who were suddenly implicated yeah, in the scheme. Yeah, that's so horrible. And yeah. it was really, really hard for them to fight back and to defend their innocence once they'd, once they'd sort of been obtusely accused by the director of the yeah, NGV. Of and, I mean, you obviously would know very well the art world can be super clicky and these Artists, they became pariahs and their careers really, really suffered from that point on. Oh, that's so sad. Meanwhile, Patrick Mm. McCackie, of course, he got to keep his job and he got to keep moving on up through the ranks. And the weeping woman was, (laughs) to the chagrin of many, returned to the walls of the National Gallery of Victoria. It was now behind glass and it was bolted to the wall in such a way that you'd basically have to steal the whole building if you wanted to take it from that point onwards. Like I said, we never heard from the cultural terrorists again and 36 years later we still don't know who they were and we still don't know exactly how they got the painting out of the gallery on the 2nd of August. A lot of people have theories nothing's been proven. One of the ones that I liked the best was that over the course of a few weeks, someone had been sneaking pieces of a briefcase of sorts into the gallery and hiding them around the place. And then on the night they stole the painting, they just waited till closing time. The guards did their perfunctory sweep Mm. and they hid out of sight of those older men who, you know, were just sort of ticking a box on their to-do list. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they went around the gallery and gathered up all the different pieces to assemble the briefcase, took the painting off the wall by just prying the screws out of the Mm -hmm. plaster. Apparently it would have been relatively simple to do. And then just hang out in the gallery until it opened the next day and just walk out with that briefcase and no one stopped to question them about what was inside it because apparently if you walked around looking official enough, you could get away with a lot in a place like that. It's feasible, isn't it? I mean, if you think about um, the Mona Lisa theft that was 75 years before and how that happened, I mean, that was like basically someone dressed up as a janitor or something stayed in the gallery and then wandered off with it, I think, Mm. if I remember correctly. It's not... 
impossible. And then when I walked into the Saatchi gallery, I had it under my arm. Mm. I just walked in <laughs> and I looked like an artist. Like, yeah. you know? So and look, it might have been super easy. A couple of old boys asleep and they just wandered off with it. That's what it seems to have been. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never really know the truth. Um, a lot of people say they have inside knowledge, but oh. no one's willing to name names. Oh, someone has to. I want to know. I need to know, Jacob. Because well, we've got to give someone an award. I mean, someone <laughs> deserves a flipping medal. <laughs> I want to know when the statute of limitations runs out on this. Because yeah. if it's soon, then hopefully we'll get some information. Although I will say... Yeah, I mean, you can't prosecute now, can you? You would think surely not. I will say when I was really no. thinking about this, as much as I want to know who did this, it's just so delicious that they've left it anonymous all this time. Like I think I'd be disappointed to find out the definitive answer because it's so fun to bounce around different theories. So I quite like that I'll never have any control over whether or not the truth is revealed and, yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, there's something lovely about that. Yeah. Um, do you have a theory as to who it would have been? Do I have a, Not really. I, I, I think the art students next door are a little bit interesting in this. Mm -hmm. um, but also I, I feel like the artist who exhibited the replica knew a bit more than he's letting on. I think, but I think it's a group of people. Mm -hmm. It's just a small team. They've just they've just stayed up all night, had a few drinks, and come up with this funny idea of something they're going to do, mm -hmm. and they've gone and done it. They pulled it off. That's what I think. I just so think it's a group perfectly. of artists. Yeah, it's a group of artists. But I, you know, it's definitely not a criminal because, um, like, interestingly, one of my art dealers actually had a Picasso stolen in London. Uh -huh. So I've I've experienced a story not similar. But he had this posh gallery in the West End of London. He used to deal my art, but he had Picassos and stuff. And he had a very expensive Picasso. This is in the 80s. And some dude walked in. He had his um, gallery staff there, a young lady working behind the desk. And this dude walked in with a shotgun. <gasps> and he said, what's that? And she said, um, <sighs> oh, that's a Matisse. And he goes, and what's that? And she says, oh, well, that's the Picasso. Oh. And he's like, right, I'll have that. <gasps> So it, she, he, yeah, yeah, he literally took it off the wall. So my friend, the art dealer, is upstairs. He takes it off the wall. It's really heavy. So he's not sort of contending for that. He, 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 he points the gun at her, walks out of the gallery, and he gets into a black cab with it. And he says to the, the cab driver, right, that way and make it snappy with a flipping Picasso. My friend, the art dealer, Martin, he comes downstairs and he, he has a Vespa. <laughs> he has a scooter. So he's chasing... No, no, you can't... He's chasing this black cab. He loses the black cab. The, the, the dude that stole the Picasso gives, pays the black cab driver ah. in cash and gives him a tip and then, and then disappears into the night with the Picasso. And then it all goes... I mean, you couldn't make... Yeah, I mean, who pays the cab driver... But then, and then obviously the, the, the gallery person's really freaked out and mm. she's really scared and everything. And then it all goes cold for ages. Yeah. And my friend, the art dealer, is actually 
actually quite happy it's got nicked because he hasn't been able to sell this thing for a long time mm. and he's going to get the insurance money. So he's really happy about it. Okay. And the police set up a sting uh-huh. to trap the dude. Uh-huh. And it's definitely an art criminal, right? Like he's trying to get money for it and all the rest of it. And... Um, and they set this sting at, like, Baker Street Station or something, mm. and the insurance company are going to give Martin this big cheque. Uh-huh. It's like one of those comedy cheques, you know, <laughs> for, like, two million quid. Yes. And it's gonna, and they, they're like, we'll give you it, but we want to do it live on TV. <laughs> so there's Martin, ready to receive the cheque from uh-huh. Picasso on telly. And, and the police seized the Picasso. <laughs> they, 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 they got the criminal, and he, and he went down. And Martin and the cheque check didn't go through. But then the painting... But the interesting thing about this one is the painting was so flipping famous mm. that it was so valuable, it came up at auction and went for like twice what it was worth. Mm, so actually with this story, that flipping ugly crying woman mm. is probably worth loads more now, isn't it, <sighs> the museum? But the point I'm making is I don't think it was a cri- I don't think it was a, a criminal, you know, that was mm. just trying to like steal a painting. I mean, this is way too artistic, this... Um, this one, isn't it? Yeah. It's definitely yeah. an artist behind it. Yeah. I mm. I agree with you. Um, I lean towards that theory as well, that it's just on face value. A group of artists who were also political activists wanted to get attention for their cause yeah. and they were successful, which is fantastic. There are those, though, that believe mm. it could have been an inside job pulled off by people from the National Gallery of Victoria and that it was all a very clever publicity stunt. No, see, I would buy that if the security wasn't so rubbish, Mm. you see, because it doesn't need to be an inside job to pull it off. It's like zero security. Yeah, yeah, Uh, that is a good point. The folks who think it was an inside job... And they've already had a a shed load of, of publicity already for buying the ugly thing in the first place. That's like a very good point. They probably don't want any more publicity about the weird Picasso. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of people were coming to see the weird Picasso. So this incident oh, okay. did do a lot to boost visitorship, even when the painting was missing. People were coming because they wanted to see the empty yeah. wall once the strike over the chairs was okay. resolved with the security guards. Um, and <laughs> then, like... Did they keep their chairs, Jacob? I think they got to have them for a certain amount of time on their shift, but, um, yeah, there was definitely some compromise. I was just worried about their hips, you know, these old boys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The painting did end up being worth $100 million. They paid two for it and it's now worth $100 million because of its colourful history. And the NGV got funding from the government for a proper security system. So it all ended up being a big boon for the NGV, which made people think, well... Maybe they don't have clean hands. Maybe they're really, really clever Mm. because they got pretty much everything they wanted. And then there are those who think... And the Blamange guy is dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about that. Yes, yeah. he was the leader of the police in the 1980s in Australia, from what I've heard. Um, you know, they say yeah. the fish rots from the head down. Um, then there are those who think mm. that the painting that was returned was a forgery. This is very Ocean's Eleven. This theory, they reckon, the original yeah, made its maybe. way onto the black market by an international crime syndicate, and it's now a fake. 
that's hanging on the wall. Um, nah. Kind of fun to think about if you think the entire game was just a swapsy ruse that they made as elaborate as possible with all those red herrings along the way to get publicity. No, I don't buy it because the thing is, if it if it has made its way into the black market or whatever, those paintings, you know, if you think about the Boston one, I don't know if you've seen that, mm. that's the biggest art heist of history. Those paintings are stole to be bargaining chips, actually, with, with the police. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might be an arms dealer and they come to you and you go, right, look, I'll give you the Picasso back. Mm. You know, that's what that level of organised crime is about. It's, it's not very witty, well-written, conceptual art letters yeah. that are very funny. <laughs> you know, if you want to take a painting onto the black market, you're like, you know, nah, not mm. at all. Yeah. I don't think it's a fake. No, I don't think that theory is particularly feasible, but, it, you know, kind of fun to kick around because, like I said, the, yeah. most of the joy I get from this is thinking about all the ways that people got involved and started adding their own contribution to this nationwide piece of performance art that was That's going what's on. That's lovely. And also the mystery of who these incredibly funny, witty, sassy, cultural yeah. terrorists were um, that pulled I this know. whole thing It off. might be a really famous artist now. I mean, my theory is it's someone really famous, like a really big... Because someone with that brain and that capacity mm. would have continued working in art. No I mean, doubt, this artist yeah. is still making stuff, for sure. And they would never want to say, oh, it was actually me that did it, because it would ruin their career. So I think it's an established Australian contemporary artist who's very, very provocative and politicised. And I think it's what they did in their wilder years. They wouldn't only have done this. No way. No, 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 no. They no didn't way. stop there. No, they. this would have just been a little amuse-bouche for them. Yeah. Um, Justiners, if you've got any theories of who you think it may have been, by all means, send them through to us, justthegistpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with us via Instagram. Um, Stuart, that was just the gist of the, what do we call it? <laughs> Theft, the kidnapping, the performance art piece, the prank. Mm-hmm. Now you've heard the story, how would you classify it first and foremost? Was it a crime? Was it a theft? Was it a political stunt? Was it performance art? Number one, of all the things it was, how would you classify it? Art stunt. Mm. It was an art stunt. And then sub to that, it was an art stunt with political meaning. Yeah. I definitely would put crime down the bottom of the list because... I mean, I don't even see it as criminal because it came back, you know, like I think, I don't know if it's the same there, but here in the UK, theft is defined as intending to permanently deprive someone of the object. Mm -hmm. So if they were always intending for it to be this crazy story and give it back, Mm. it's like, like, where's the crime? Like they borrowed it. Yeah, agreed. No one got hurt. Yeah, It was performance art that led to some really positive outcomes in the country. And I'm so glad I got to be the one to tell you the story. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you for telling me. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it so much. It was brilliant. Uh, Like I said, you're probably going to want to jump down the rabbit hole now and look into a few other things. So in the show notes, I'll post some really great articles uh, that have been written over the last 36 Mm. years uh, about the case and, of course, 
that wonderful documentary Framed that's hosted by Mark Fennell, who's very well known and loved here in Australia. Mm-hmm. Absolutely worth a watch. That was just the gist of the kidnapping of the weeping woman in 1986. Stuart Semple, what's coming up for you in the next little while? You mentioned your festival, which we'll all be seeing a bit about on yeah. social media, I'm sure. But what else have you got coming up? The festival's the big thing. Um you know, and I'm making some new paintings, so I'm hoping to do a painting show in London when I finish them. Great. But that's it. I actually want a bit of sunshine this summer as well. <laughs> oh, go enjoy some for us because we're not getting very much here right now. Oh, no, it sounds mm. terrible. Ah, we'll push through it. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you once again. It's always wonderful to um, have a chat with you and hopefully we'll have you back on once again. Good luck with the festival. I can't wait to hear how it turns out. Thank you. And lots of love from all our listeners from all around the world. Mwah. Oh, and to you lot. I love the listeners. Thank you, Jacob. What a great story. Brilliant. Thank you. Listener.